Our first Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the word of the Lord. And if you could turn with me again to Matthew chapter 6. I'll be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 6 and starting at, um, at verse 5. Now, this was intentional. I'm doing it around the other way for a reason and you'll see that as we go through it. So that's Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 5. I'll be reading through to verse 8. So let's hear from God's word. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can meet here this morning and we thank you that you meet with us by your Holy Spirit. Father God, as we take a closer look now at your wonderful word, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When I finished Bible college, my first position was as a youth minister in a tiny little town called Weewar. So every Friday night I did what youth ministers do and ran a youth group. And as there was not a whole lot to do on Friday nights in Weewar, it wasn't long before a large group of local teenagers started coming along. Most of these guys and gals came from broken homes that had never ever set foot inside a church before. And so let's just say Friday nights in the Prezi Hall was just a little bit on the wild side. And when it came to giving the Bible lesson, well, the whole me talk and they be nice and quiet and listen, was a concept they didn't really understand. But there was one time, and I'll never forget it, when you could have heard a pin drop. My opening on that evening was a question, and it went like this. If I had a million dollars to give away today, and all you had to do to bag the cash was to promise to never ever pray to God again, not once for the rest of your lives, would you take the money? And to my astonishment, not one kid in the entire room put up his hand or her hand. And that really threw me because my talk was based on why their decision to take the money was a bad deal. 
But no, all these rough, poor, non-churched kids just sat there, hands down in silence. For they all knew, somewhere deep down, they knew the value of prayer. And not one of them were willing to give it up. And friends, as I begin this series on the Lord's Prayer, I know from that experience that I don't have to stand here this morning and convince you as church-going believers, convince you either of the value of prayer. We all know the ability to communicate with the Creator of all is truly priceless. For this gift is our number one demonstration that among all God's creatures, we were specially made to be in intimate relationship with him. Indeed, the ability to communicate with God as Father, our Father, reveals we are his children, made in his image and in his likeness. Before we say a word, prayer speaks to us and informs us of who we are, whose we are. Be that as it may, there's something else about prayer that I don't need to convince you of either. And that is, quite often, very often, it does not come all that easy, does it? And that's a little strange because the act of talking itself is not hard. Nor is talking unpleasant. Though we enjoy daily the wonderful ability to communicate with those that we love. But when it comes to the most important love relationship of all, so often the cat's got our tongue. And we can immediately think of reasons for that, can't we? For starters, prayer is different because we do all the talking. That makes it difficult. We can also worry we'll ask for God for the wrong things. Or on the flip side, ask for what seems to be the right thing but fear that we'll get a big N.O. But friends, these issues, although real, don't pinpoint the main reason why prayer for many of us is a daily struggle. Now, the main reason why the lines are so often down is thanks to the communication breakdown between him and us caused by sin. At the heart of our struggle is our hearts, our fallen, self-focused, me-first hearts. Now, yes, the war was won for our hearts by Jesus at the cross, on the cross. But in our day-to-day, the battle to move from me on the throne to him on the throne rages on. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And friends, our prayer life, the way we pray, what we say and refuse to say is smack bang in the middle of that struggle. 
Suffice to say, when it comes to prayer, we need help. A help not simply to speak, but when we do with words that seek his purposes, his will, his glory, rather than our own. And friends, that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Every word about moving that inner dial from self to him. And when that needle begins to move in that direction, then our communication with God, well, let's just say we have a good line, a good and right communication. So in case you're wondering why do a series on the Lord's Prayer, why look at a passage we know so well? Well, the answer is this. So we might learn from the one whose inner dial was set perfectly. Learn and so know these words, not simply as the Lord's Prayer, but our prayer. For that was Jesus' intention in sharing it to us. And so with that said, let's go to where this precious prayer is found. And friends, as we come to it, if you were here last week, you may remember I encourage you to read not just Matthew 6, 9 to 13, but Matthew 6 as a whole. And if you did that, you would have noticed Matthew 6 is smack bang in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. A sermon that is all about correcting a whole bunch of wrong thinking, wrong teaching when it comes to how we relate to God. You have heard, but I tell you. It has been said, but I say. This is Jesus' constant refrain throughout. And it's in this same, not this, but this, that Jesus comes to the topic of prayer. Look again at the start of verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not, down to verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Now friends, Jesus' do nots, and there are two, are going to be our focus this morning. Because if we honestly want to get our prayer life right, then we need to know first how we can so often get it wrong. And this needs to be dealt with, lest the Lord's prayer remains his prayer and not ours. So what two big things does Jesus say has to be avoided if we really want to converse with God? Well, the first big no is found in verse 5. Have another look at it. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, friends, as we take in this first big warning of Jesus, I thought I'd do a little digging during the week on the label that Jesus uses here. And this is what I found. The word hypocrite was born out of the ancient Greeks' love for acting and stage plays. It literally means an interpreter from behind. An interpreter from behind, which points to how back then actors put on a, an actual physical mask 
to project a certain character. In other words, a hypocrite originally was a stage actor who put on different masks and then acted out that persona for the cheers and adoration of the crowd. But there's another type of play actor as well, says Jesus. But you're not going to find them in the amphitheatre, but in places of worship. In other words, we're talking religious actors here. And the mask they put on for the adulation of the crowd is one that portrays a perfect picture of holiness and righteousness. Now, Jesus actually gives an example of a world-class performance over in Luke chapter 18. Don't look it up, but I'll read it to you. Have a listen. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Behold the religious mask, says Jesus. And was this Pharisee a hypocrite in that he was lying about fasting or giving or avoiding certain vices? No. No, he wasn't. Now, he was a hypocrite because he did those acts of righteousness for the love of the crowd. And prayer was the means by which he received that love. And in gaining their applause and and adoration, the transaction is complete, says Jesus. End of verse 5. He has received his reward in full. In other words, at no point has any communication actually happened between that person and God. But if that's what you're after in your prayer life, an audience with God and not the crowd, then you have to avoid the stage You have to avoid from speaking behind an actor's mask. Now friends, as we take in Jesus' big warning here, your first reaction, your first response might be, look, the thought of standing up in front of everybody at church, let alone some random street corner, is not something that even enters my mind. So I'll watch out for people like that. But yeah, that whole prayer as an act to win the praise of others, well, that isn't really a a problem for me. So let's move on. But friends, before we do, as we know, on every stage you have the big main star, but alongside them a whole cast of other players as well, don't you? And yes, While most of us may never yearn for the spotlight with the big flashy mask, when Jesus says, do not be like them, he is saying, whenever you pray, whenever you pray in public or out loud, 
Check your face. Check your face. That is, check if the words you're speaking are coming from you or from behind a mask. Are you speaking for the acceptance and reception of those listening on or for the acceptance and reception of God? Now when we think in those terms, suddenly the warning becomes a whole lot more real to us, doesn't it? The desire to articulate in a people-pleasing way. The temptation to get that, yes, Lord, from the person sitting next to you is real, isn't it? Very real. Which is why Jesus goes on to say this in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Now we need to hit the pause button right there for just a second because Jesus is not fixing our hypocrisy temptation by outlawing public prayer altogether. No, we should pray at church, 1 Corinthians 11. We should pray in small groups, Acts chapter 2. Christians should absolutely pray with one another. But if that's the case, why verse 6? What's Jesus getting at? What's his point? Well, friends, think of it like this. Imagine if you only ever spoke to your spouse or your friend when in public, but not a single word passes your lips when it's just you and them. Now, if that was the case, you would be a hypocrite with a capital H, wouldn't you? Your relationship, nothing but an act, nothing but show. And it's no different with God. If you truly want authenticity and substance and growth in your relationship with him, then just as with any other relationship privately, just you and him is where that happens. That's what Jesus is driving at here. So back to the verse. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now friends, the beauty of being alone, just you and God, is there in that secret place pretense, show, all that fakery that can get in the way is completely stripped away, isn't it? Completely. To get on the stage in your private place and pretend in private prayer is something not even the Pharisee would consider doing. The question is, with the seats all empty and the audience gone, do we fall silent? Speaking of masks and faces, do we seek God's face in the secret place? Now, our answer to that tells us all we need to know about where we are truly at in our relationship with God. No one-on-one, then the question needs to be asked. 
Do you know the one? And does he know you? If the core of your Christian life doesn't radiate out from private, personal communication with him, then how can we say our Christian life isn't lived out entirely on the stage? Where all the reward for it comes from the crowd, but nothing from him. Speaking of which, what is this reward from God that Jesus promises here? Well, friends, it's him filling that spot, that hole, that need, instead of the crowd. It's weaning yourself off, filling that need with human love, which is fickle, transitory and never truly satisfies for the love that is the very opposite of fickle and transitory. For there is nothing fickle about a cross, about a death so you might live. A love secured at Calvary that fills us to overflowing and satisfies from here and into eternity. If that's what you want, that sort of love, then the God who longs to give you and show you, your, show you that love is not hard to find. Just look for the crowd and go the other way. God is found whenever and wherever you seek him out, just you and him. And having done that, speak. But how do I speak? How do I and nobody address and converse with the eternal, holy creator of it all? Now, friends, this question takes us to Jesus' second point about prayer. Having rejected the temptation to impress others, don't then fall for the other, uh, the other temptation, which is to impress God. Verse 7, have a look. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Now friends, I'd like to call the problem Jesus pinpoints for us here the ceiling problem. That is the sense that once in that secret place, our measly, embarrassing stammerings and stutterings surely make it no further than our roof, right? Unworthy to be heard by the king of the universe, let alone for him to take that jumbled mess on board and somehow then act upon it. But if I get my, my, my stammering tongue sorted out, and speak with the language of angels, if I can just get the, the heavenly formula right, then boom, my ceiling will be broken through. The heavenly throne room is going to hush and God will be all ears, right? Wrong, says Jesus. This type of prayer might sound good to our ears, but here's how it sounds to God. 
pagan babble, Gentile gibberish, formulaic utterances, special words, endless repetition, etc., etc., is not what breaks your prayers through the ceiling and gives you a hearing. For the ceiling is already broken. You are God's child in Christ. And so you already have access, full access. As such, your broken sentences, confused yearnings and groanings are all heard. They're heard, they're cherished and perfectly interpreted. For verse 8, your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask for it, says Jesus. But if that's the case, if God already knows, why go through the motions then? Why does he want us to stammer out what's going on deep down in here if he knows what's going on deep down in here already? Well, friends, to answer that, consider a little child for a second. A little child, one that you know and love dearly. In this precious relationship, a lot of the time what this little one wants or needs is no mystery to you, is it? None at all. But that doesn't mean you don't want them to communicate it with you. For communication is the engine room of relationship, right? Does this relationship grow if they come to you with special chance and endless repetition? Hardly. But it absolutely does when they communicate with you with vulnerability, straight from the heart. That is the communication. Your heavenly parent, your heavenly father is seeking between him and you. Friends, in tying all these verses together, there's a thread that runs through every single line, isn't there? And that thread is authenticity. What is God looking for from you in prayer? He's looking for you. That's what he's looking for. The real you. When was the last time the real you? No masks, no rehearsed words. Found a secret place. And they're sought to connect from here with your heavenly Father who loves you. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we we recognise the struggle of seeking out that secret place and to speak um, with authenticity and honesty from the depths of our hearts with you.
so many things get in the way of us doing that. And so, Father, as we begin um, this series in prayer, we want to recognise and be honest with you our struggle with conversing with you one-on-one from the heart. We want a close relationship with you and so we repent of the things that get in the way. We repent of our, I guess, clever words in public, carefully selected words. But when time comes to speaking with you, so often our mind wanders and we think of other things. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would again seek that secret place with you and to converse with you, to be honest with you, so that we might grow in the wonderful relationship that you have secured for us through Jesus on the cross. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.